Irenicus is the most vile of villains if he dare destroy a whole city. I can't believe that, and I believe some amazing things, let me tell you. This is the podcast for RPGFan.com. I am your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today. I'm Ashton. Uh, I'm Levere on the boards. This is John McCarroll. I'm senior editor. I'm Keeper X on the boards. This is Stephen Myrink. I'm Talus on the boards. This is Zach Pinchick. I'm super flat on the boards. Can I just point out that John had to say, like, senior editor in there? Like, nobody else gave their titles description but John. Can I just That's because all our other title descriptions suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're none of us are actually, like, official. I know, Ashton, you've been around for much longer than Rob and I, but, like, I can just hang my head in shame and say uh, contributing editor. Yeah, I'm, I'm contributing <laughs> editor because my normal days are spent saving lives and like that. Oh, God, he, the first one to curse. There you go, Zach. You're going to have oh, to bleep it out. <laughs> See, I think I should get, like, Podcast Master or Podcast Dungeon Master. Like, I, th- I think that's what I should be called on the board. You could be sorry, the PDM. Awesome. Yeah, sorry. Cursing is too normalized for me right now. No, it's okay. It's okay. If i got to watch my language, everybody else does. So, so today we are doing a normal show after the massive E3 podcast last week. So we're going to be doing uh, the rundown, everything that we've been playing. We have a massive Mass Effect talk to, to uh, discuss since I've just started playing Mass Effect 2, and I'm very opinionated on that right now. And then Zach is going to wrap us up with a news segment. So, without further ado... Who wants to go first with what they've been playing? Ooh, me, oh, me, I would me. love to. Oh, we'll let him go. Uh, oh, senior editor gets to go first. Okay. Okay. I see how it is. I'm playing a game that's not out yet. Woo! I hate you. Man. Uh, man, shoot. <laughs> All right. I am, I am playing Persona 3 Portable right now. Ooh, all right. Which, all right. So this is the one that has I a I played girl. that a year ago. <laughs> Play an import, man. I I'm playing Japanese version too. Oh, you, aren't you guys fan? Well, I'm playing it in English. <laughs> All right, John. So tell us a little bit about it. So what are the changes uh, made to Persona 3? I played a lot of Persona 3 myself. So tell us a little bit about it. And everybody, so, stop interrupting each other. <laughs> uh, Persona 3 Portable is Persona 3 minus the Fest expansion on the PlayStation Portable. Um, biggest edition. Somebody already mentioned it. You get to play as a girl. Um, honestly, I've started, I'm about six hours in, I've been through the first two months, um, I've had a chance to try and hit up Akihiko, and I've been talking to Junpei, though unfortunately Junpei is not a, a active social, or not a, a romantic social link for the female character, because, I'll leave the spoilers out, but those of you who played Persona 3 know what's going on, um... Okay, let it's me good. ask something that's okay. on everyone's lips. Can you be a raging lesbian? Um, I have not tried that yet. I am, uh, like, 
social link level five into a couple of the the new social links. They added new sport social links for uh, the female character because obviously you're not going to be hanging out on the boys' teams. Um, I don't know if they actually have a replacement social link for Yuko because obviously you, you are not on the boys' team either. Actually, um, I think they replaced a lot of those social links with the characters in your party. Okay. So, I, uh, like I said, yeah, I've started Junpei. They've, they've got Akihiko. Um, they, they've changed the game up significantly for the female character. The basic plot overall is the same. But you do have a lot of brand new social links. And players who played Persona 3 on the PS2 will be happy playing through as the female character because you do have those new social links. And there are some new characters specifically for the female player. Um, now, now my, my biggest thing, if I can just interject here real quick, the reason I wasn't able to complete Persona 3, but I played the death out of Persona 4, was that I didn't have direct party control in Persona 3. Do you now have that in Persona 3 Portable? Yes. Excellent. Um, so Persona 3 Portable is essentially like Persona... They, people call Fast Persona 3.5. This really is kind of Persona 3.5. It takes a lot of the improvements that were in Persona 4, like being able to control all your party members, and it throws those into uh, Persona 3. So honestly, I actually had... Um, when I played Persona 4, with the exception of boss battles, I would just put everyone on auto battle. So I... I was not a big fan of having everyone under your control in Persona 4. So when I play Persona 3, I just, I, like I said, I'm, I'm about six hours in. I'm in this, the third month. Bo- all of my battles, I've just had everyone on auto battle. Okay, okay. And now uh, there were some complaints that, uh, like, the overworld had changed and uh, since, uh, you know, you have the graphical limitations of the PSP. Has anything like that changed? Is the school smaller or anything? I thought I heard some kind of fan community outrage over that, or is it still the same basic design? So the the overworld or map or whatever you want to call it is completely different. And honestly, I think it's been improved for the better for the portable. I think that the open exploration walking around works well when you're playing on a console. Um, pretty much everything is menu-based in Persona 3 Portable. Um, and it's not it's, – it's more like a point-and-click adventure menu. It's not I want to go X location, Y location, Z location. Uh, you can move a cursor around, and it has a 2D art for each room. And you can go and activate things through this little pointer menu. Um, you can also use the square button to just uh, quick move. You can say, okay, I want to go to the town map, or I want to go to the third floor, or I want to go to the first floor. Um, it works pretty well. The only downside I can see is a player who is not familiar with Persona 3, who's going into Persona 3 for the first time with the PSP version, they won't know where everything is because there's not an icon saying you can go here or you can look at this. If you put the cursor close to it, it will hover over it and it'll, like, snap to it. But there are things like, you know, I didn't know I could go through this doorway or, you know, I, I couldn't talk, you know, this person is a main character. That's That's another thing where... Um, characters that appear on the map don't necessarily appear as major characters. If you can have an active social link with them, they'll appear with an exclamation mark over their head so you can say, okay, I know that's my my social link, but you really can't determine who is a character that actually has meaning and who is random NPC that says, oh, I think Mitsuru is cute. That's kind (laughs) of a downside. 
right. um, which, which, by the way, the character that says, I think Mitsuru is cute, I believe is in the lower level on the left, and she's a female character in the school. <laughs> so it's oh, kind of yeah. weird. But, um, no, overall, I have very positive impressions about the game. It's, uh, they, they change things. And, and for the people who have played Persona 3, the menu-based stuff works perfectly because you can just go quickly to exactly where you want to go. I know where everything is in the game because I spent 90 or 100 hours into Persona 3. So everything, you know where everything is already. Though I kept going to the third floor, or third or the second floor in uh, the dorm because I kept thinking I was a male character, but your uh, room is on a different floor. Um, other than that, though, it's it's really easy to get quick, move around. And I think some people are disappointed because the exploration part is gone, but I think in a handheld title, missing that exploration is not a problem because you need quickness. Do you mean exploration in the dungeons or exploration in the world? No, exploration in the world. The dungeons okay. play out exactly the same. You still run around and you hit people. Um, one thing I've run into so far, in Persona 3, you could change your weapons up for the main character. Um, it looks like, and I don't know if this holds true for the male character as well, that the female character is, has her own specific weapon type. Um, she can't just swap around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, actually holds true for the male main character too. You're limited to only using swords. Okay, which which is kind of a downside. I know that I would like to. I mean, when I played Persona Three, I would swap around my weapon types, but it's it's not a significant loss, so I can't complain that much about it. Yeah, it's not not that big a loss. Oh, excellent. Now, I, excellent. I have a question actually. If you if I know you might have to save this for a review or, or whatever, but if you had to pick between Fess or Portable, what would you? What is your impression of that? You know, because like I, you lose out on some of the exploration, but it's a bit more streamlined. I I would pick PSP uh, P3P really? over Fess. I I wasn't the reviewer on Fess. I did not like the Fess expansion pack. The additional persona for the original game that were in Fess are in P3P. It's just missing the Fess expansion pack, which was just and a dungeon crawl. Yes, which was, oh, right. like, I, I liked Persona 3 because a big pull of it is the social links and the fact that it plays out like a life simulation. And Fest just really, I played about three hours into it, and I said, you know what, I'm really tired of playing these dungeons, and I quit. Oh, well. Excellent, excellent. Anybody else have any questions about uh, PS, uh, P3P? I, I kind of like that, P3P, yeah, PS3. <laughs> So, anything else, John, or has that uh, been taking up your time so far? Uh, I think that's about it for that one. I mean, they're overall a very positive impression of the game. Um, I actually won't be the one handling the review. Kimberly Wallace will. It will be up um, probably the weekend before the game comes out. Excellent, excellent. Well, let's get one of our new guys in here. Steven, what have you been playing? Um, I have been continuing to play the Japanese version of Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Um, I oh, finished it. On. Nobody likes Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh, oh no. Kingdom Hearts. I shake my fist at you, Rob. Oh, zip, zipper. Yes. Let the fist shaking commence. Oh God! You know, oh, <laughs> real quick, real quick. Hey, I like Kingdom Hearts. Real quick. I like playing it, but real quick, Kingdom Hearts one and two were great games. I had a lot of fun with them. I played both of those games twice because I had to play them myself and then I played them with my girlfriend at the time. If you're listening to this podcast, Gina, you owe me because I had to watch you play that Winnie the Pooh level over and over again and I wanted to slip the wrist. <laughs> but now, um, it's just that the Kingdom Hearts mythos has approached Metal Gear levels of ridiculousness and I can't care anymore because we've had a Kingdom Hearts game every six months for three years. Honestly, <laughs> 
I actually I'm honestly you can blame Nomura for that one. Oh, God. Are we I going to get a PS3 app then that that you can download and it's like Wikipedia but for Kingdom Hearts because that would be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, just like they did for Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I actually felt the same way before I played Birth by Sleep because I didn't really like 358 over two days. Um, I just thought it was kind of repetitive and I got. I'm, it's like the third time you've hit some of those worlds. And uh, 358 days over two. <laughs> my apologies. Otherwise, but, they get all pissy. Yeah, because the units don't convert. Ah, uh, yes, it's not. I'm not good with numbers anyway, so I, I don't think I should be held responsible for that. Uh, okay, so tell us about Birth by Sleep. Make me care. I don't think you can, but try. Okay, well, see, before and I was like, all right, this is getting a little ridiculous. I don't want to, you know, throw any spoilers or any, anything. Um, but I was like, okay, all these characters look like, you know, they appear to have a connection to previous characters. There's one of the main characters, Ventus, looks exactly like Roxas from Kingdom Hearts 2 and uh, the DS game. And, um, you know, I was just, I was a little skeptical, but first when I played it, the vibe I got from that was they took all the effort that they didn't put into the DS game and put it into Birth by Sleep because for all intents and purposes, it pretty much is the next, you know, main Kingdom Hearts game because the graphics, you know, it's Square Enix. They're awesome. Um, but the gameplay itself, it's kind of, uh, if you take like the, the deck building from Chain of Memories, but the combat from Kingdom Hearts 2 and kind of balance it out a bit. That's really what it is, because, you know, you, you build a deck full of commands um, that are all kinds of crazy attacks and whatnot. You know, you get magic and items and keyblade attacks and stuff. Um, and just my problem is I love Kingdom Hearts 2 to death, but towards the end of it, it just got to be the point where it was just ridiculously easy because Sora was just, you know, ridiculously powerful compared to everything else, um, which they fixed with Final Mix Plus. But um, in Birth by Sleep the whole time, you felt really tough. But I felt like, you know, it was a good challenge just because they had balanced it out so you couldn't just repeatedly spam these insanely powerful attacks. Um, you know, you got the powerful attacks, but you had to wait for them to recharge. And it, it kept it really fresh because there are a bunch of different systems they have in place that make it so, you know, you're rewarded for using different types of attacks a lot and, you know, trying new things because you can, by trying new things, you can fuse them together and then create different attacks. And I got almost like a like a demon fusion thing from a Shin Megami Tensei game out of it. It was addictive to just like, you know, oh, I don't like this command, but what happens if I use it with something else? Well, maybe I'll get hey, something great out of that. Is it almost akin to uh, to Crisis Core's fusion system? Yeah, actually, it is kind of like that. Um, like, you know, for example, if you take fire and fire, you get fire Um If you take, like, you know, a, a Keyblade attack and a fire attack, you'll get, like, a fire version of that attack. But later on in the game, you start getting more complicated moves and, you know, Combining them, you start getting these ridiculously over-the-top attacks. And by the end, honestly, all three characters, so there's three playable characters, if anyone has seen any of the boss fights or played Final Mix Plus or Kingdom Hearts 2, you start doing the kinds of attacks the, the secret bosses would use on you. It's just, it, it's really cool, and the game still doesn't, you know, totally break in terms of difficulty. And I, I thought they did a really good job with that. Well, I mean, I was very interested in Birth by Sleep from the uh, the secret movie at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2. And I, I thought that that just looked awesome. I, I actually really wanted to play a game like that. Now, that level of uh, cinematography, that level, uh, you know, that, that just kind of like hyped up Nomura gravity-defying gameplay, is that part of Birth by Sleep? Are you basically just like having fights in midair for no good reason and then landing? And just, just it, it, physics has completely gone away in Nomura's crazy zipper-filled world. It's not as bad as Kingdom Hearts 2. I like it's not as bad as Kingdom Hearts. 
Kingdom Hearts 2 towards the end, yeah, you know, physics was just like, whatever, I can fly, you know. Uh, Birth by Sleep, I think, does a much better job kind of reining that in. You still feel like you have, you know, a lot of mobility. You feel really powerful, but it doesn't feel like you can defy the laws of physics, you know, for hours on end. Okay. Um, okay. And they definitely... Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Um, the secret movie, um, there's actually, there's only one CG, like, you know, computer-generated cutscene in Birth by Sleep, and it's the intro, and it's not even, like, an actual story thing. It's kind of like all the Kingdom Hearts. It's just, you know, random crazy stuff going on. Um, the secret video is a part of the game's story, and I don't want to spoil it, but it's actually done with in-game graphics, and that's probably the most over-the-top cutscene in the whole game. Mm-hmm. And now, uh, does this fill in gaps in the Kingdom Hearts universe, or does it just do the uh, Hideo Kojima, oh, we're just going to you know, answer your questions with more questions, like an episode of Lost or some crap like that? Um, I definitely think it, fill, um, it fills in gaps. It adds new questions. Um, you know, ah, screw I- it. <laughs> screw it I'm done they, they reveal you a lot of different a lot of different things you know they explain you know the appearance of Roxas and they explain you know um, if anyone's played it uh, Xehanort uh, they explain you know why he looks the way he does and you know a little bit of his past and by the end they haven't they've really answered more than I think they've created in terms of questions you know they fill in a lot of the blanks that were you know um, there was a cutscene in the DS game where um Zigbar, uh, who's Brig in Birth by Sleep, um, he sees Ventus and or he sees Roxas and he says, "Oh, he looks like Ventus from Birth by Sleep," and it fills in why you know why he recognizes them from there. And really, all it does is um, by the ending they've set up for. If you recall the end of Kingdom Hearts two, Sora gets that bottle with the note in it. You um, with this and that game coded, it explains what that note says and what the next Kingdom Hearts is going to be. But oh, I, man, now I have to play this. <laughs> oh man! You know what this, really you know what this reminds me of, guys? Too. You know what this reminds me of? You know, I, I, I'm one of the older guys here, so maybe John will back me up on this one. You remember back in the '90s where they did that whole zero hour thing with DC Comics, and they completely rewrote the history of DC Comics? Or when we found yeah. out that Spider-Man was actually a clone from the '70s? That's <laughs> that's what Kingdom Hearts feels like, okay? Like. Brig, Zigbar, who are these people? What are you Dude, talking man, about? Throw an X in there. You throw an X and then rearrange the words. And I'm still okay. I'm still ticked off that they no longer had Billy Zane doing the voice of Ansem because Billy Zane is an underrated actor. He just has I a, completely agree. He has a horrible agent because he's in movies like uh, he was in Blood Rain and yeah, he was awesome in the Phantom though. Uh, but you know, it just. It feels like I missed one Kingdom Hearts game, and then I just was completely lost. Like, I felt like there was a huge gap between Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2 because I didn't play Chain of Memories. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry, Namira, that I do not own all of these consoles. If you would buy them for me, I would play them. <laughs> I think I can actually understand that. That's that's kind of how I, like, before Birth by Sleep, I was like, man, I didn't like 358, or, I'm sorry, I'm going to call it the DS game to avoid nomenclature confusion. <laughs> um... <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't finish it, but I watched the story like online and I kind of like read up on it. But um, it's kind of like you have to, you know, you take what you get. With Burst by Sleep, I think they did a good job of, um, you know, filling in holes and not creating new ones just for the sake of it. Because I've always been a big fan of the first two Kingdom Hearts games, and I um, like I was kind of bummed out because it seemed like it was just getting really far away from what the first one was, which was a kid and Donald Duck and Goofy saving the world, which is awesome. Yeah, and then it and then it got all crazy emo, like life and death, and people with no souls, and just about as morbid as it would get. Yeah, and I mean, I love the franchise, but I will be the first one to say I think that some of the plot things have you know holes, like gigantic holes in them. So, 
Um, I think it's good. Adding stuff afterwards. Because, exactly. um, like, for example, in Kingdom Hearts 2, the, uh, Mickey was all like, the guy you defeated in the first one wasn't the real person, but he still had to be stopped. The real person is over there! And then, like, <laughs> wait, so there's two answers now? And he's all like, no, there's three, because his pupil took his name as well, so there are three answers. No, there are four! <laughs> now I know and then in like three, And then in, like, 358 days over two, um, they introduce a new character, and they explain him slash her away. Um, as, like, because uh, he slash she didn't appear in Kingdom Hearts 2, they explained it away by saying that, oh, everybody's links, of, everybody's memory links about him slash her vanished, so nobody mentioned uh, it. I would, rather, I would rather jam a railroad spike in my ear than understand this story at this point. I mean, I, I've studied graduate-level physics for two years, and this sounds ten <laughs> times more complicated. All right. Hey, let's talk, let's talk about M-theory. M-theory? <laughs> Huh? Huh? Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> M theory, you know, super string theory. Oh, oh, god, no, no. I'm an exper- <laughs> I'm an experimental physicist. Thank you oh. very much. I only deal with the real. Order. Okay, all right. Are you done telling me about birth by whatever? I have a very important <laughs> question about birth by sleep. Um, I only played I only played a short demo of it at E3, Please but stay. does it feature the guys from Tron? Good question. Yeah. Ah! Oh. Done. Done. We're done. We're done. Doesn't feature Tron, then we're done. Sadly, no. Ugh. Alright. But it does have Lilo and Stitch. Well, just Stitch. <laughs> and he's not actually called Stitch. He's called Experiment 626, but, yeah. Uh, are we, are we done? Can we move on from Kingdom Hearts. It's not an RPG. There, I said it. <laughs> wait, this from, this from the guy who's arguing that Dawn of War is an RPG. If Dawn of, okay, if Mass Effect, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, 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 I'm sorry, the strategy game? If Mass Effect 2 is an RPG, Dawn of War 2 is an RPG. I'm sorry. It is. No. Yes, it no. is. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, but, yo, yo, oh, no. We're, get, we're getting there later, we're getting there later. Zach, get us out of Kingdom Hearts, Disney, whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you. Um, oh, I played okay. 45 minutes of Final Fantasy 13. Okay, I'm going to go slip my wrist now. I'll be right back. Hold on. <laughs> now, now, I think you, you should notice that I mentioned that I played 45 <laughs> minutes. Um, and in those 45 minutes, I held forward and pressed X. Yes. And I see what the problem is. <laughs> you got about 24 hours of that problem. one big guy. <laughs> yeah, I know. See, I'm, I'm gonna try to play through it. I'm gonna, you know, keep trucking until I just get too bored, but I stopped. Like, I literally took the disc out of my PS3 and then started playing Red Dead Redemption again because that, you know, <laughs> at least you can pull triggers and stuff. But yeah, well, if, if, um, it's not like it's not like you have anything to look forward to because like the entire story for Final Fantasy Thirteen is basically like a Yu-Gi-Oh episode. It's uh, <laughs> such a bummer too because I've been looking like I've been itching for like a good JRPG and I really just haven't picked a, picked my fights well recently. Sweet. Ashton, <laughs> what, what do they what do they yell instead of Heart of the Cards? <laughs> <laughs> um, they just go like we have to believe in ourselves, and that's no. Snow is a hero. It's Snow's a hero. But the false C, they work for the Lussy and the and the ill C. Oh, the Lussy, the Lussy work for the false C, man. Oh, whatever. Okay, so my the, name is Pulse, and I'm 
sad. See, the listeners are missing out right now because we did the trial podcast um, for this where it was uh, me, Zach, and Dennis, and I basically just like took a giant dump on Final Fantasy Thirteen for the better part of an hour <laughs> and a half. I played eight hours of it, and I stopped. I have not touched it since. I'm looking at it right now underneath my PS3 going, why do I still have you? The soundtrack is great. Even the soundtrack isn't that great. Oh, I actually love it. the coaster? (laughs) Use it as five coasters. A strawberry blonde coaster. I got the the PS3 version, so... Uh, maybe we should maybe we should release the trial podcast at some point. We'd probably have to go back and put a bunch of bleeps into it, but uh, <laughs> but maybe we should maybe we should go back and release the trial podcast just because I don't want to have the Final Fantasy Thirteen debate again. It's everybody hates yeah. it, right? I mean, I mean that's the thing is like I I've only played forty five minutes and I will continue, but there's not a whole lot more to be said than I was legitimately for forty five minutes holding forward and pressing X. No, the biggest problem is that they still have tutorials, like, 20 hours in. I mean, it's like, by that point, it's like, what the hell? Come on, a tutorial? Yep, it's it's a bad game. It's a really bad game. And, and normally a story, uh, normally a quality story can kind of propel you forward, but it just, the story's not there. And uh, it, just real quick, that was my main complaint about the story was that, it doesn't have a character like Tidus or even Cloud or Terra from Six that is playing the role of the audience getting to experience the world for the first time. So instead, everybody's just using exposition all the time and dropping nouns left and right, and they all know what they're talking about. But you as a viewer, you're kind of sitting there going, abuh? Like, yeah, you have, actually, to go, you have to go read the data log. Yeah. As I said, that was a problem I had was that I, I think it's great to have a codex. Like, Matt, you know, Mass Effect had a codex. It was you know, ancillary information that you could use that was interesting, but in 13, it seemed like almost, well, you didn't read that? Well, you need to go read that before you play. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like if, uh, you know, since we have all guys here, I'm sure we've all been here, it's kind of like if your girlfriend decides to sit in on an episode of Star Trek with you, and they just <laughs> stare at it, like, <laughs> what are they talking about? What is a tribble? Like, it's the same thing, except we're all Final Fantasy players, and we don't know what the hell they're talking about. It's <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. Ugh. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's really odd. I spent the uh, sick because of camp grilled cheese sandwiches, and the week before that, just, like, getting overly excited about E3. And oh, just, man. Though, and that, just to that, be disappointed. Yeah. Although Nintendo yeah. stuff, I mean... That, oh. that was last week's podcast. But. And, and who was right on all of his E3 predictions? I get to rub that one in there right now. Sure. I, did, I did. Deus Ex was there. Deus Ex was there, one. and it looked it looked hot. It did look good, but it's still let's let's be careful there. Let's let's see what happens with it. Agreed. So, mm-hmm. all right, Ashton. Oh, uh, well, uh, recently I've been playing a lot of. Uh, Japanese Wii RPG. I started with Tales of Graces, finished that, then Xenoblade, and I finished that. And um, I'm actually going to be working on reviews for those two in the near future, so um, if you're listening, watch for them. I actually... uh, I'm sorry, could I ask a question about one of those games? Sure. Go ahead. Um, What was the combat like in Xenoblade? Because I I wrote in a really short news article that it was um, like a combination of turn-based and real-time, but I couldn't find any videos that really, like, explained it that well? Like, what, what exactly was it like? Okay, um, it's... The nearest I can say is, like, it's kind of like a cross between Final Fantasy XII and, let's say, Monster Hunter. 
Okay. That sounds awful. That that that's like that's that's like bad peanut butter and bad chocolate mixed together. Yeah, like you, there, there's so much wrong with each of those battle systems that. Uh, hey, hey, hey! Say what you will about Monster Hunter, but do not insult Final Fantasy XII. I will rip your heart right out. Uh, oh. Okay. Well. Oh. See, Final Fantasy XII reminded me of um, the original Gran Turismo, where uh-huh. I could, I could honestly <laughs> just like use the rubber bands to to. Have my guys run around and fight things while I go and eat a sandwich. And in the original oh, Gran no, no, Turismo, no. there's no like, you could get there's this... no like gambit system or anything. It, the battle system, uh, what I mean by it's like Final Fantasy XII is like the um, mechanics are a lot like Final Fantasy XII. Um, you uh, you see all the enemies uh, on the field, and you can choose which enemies to attack. But um, once you enter battle, you have to take an active role in it. Yeah. Oh well, okay. That that's not too bad because I, I, you know, like the original Grand Turismo, you get the Suzuki car and it just goes around the track and you get a hundred thousand credits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now does yeah, Xenoblade? Xenoblade is made by the guy who made uh, Xenogears and Xenosaga, right? Right. Okay. Does it have any crucifixions in the game? Uh, no, not that I saw. That's that's disappointing. That's very disappointing. <laughs> From what I heard. Um, I'm sorry. From what I heard or read on Wikipedia at some point, um, I think it wasn't actually originally called Xenoblade. I think they just changed it to yeah, that name in honor it. of the guy, like the director. Yeah. It was already called um, um, Monad, Monado. Yeah, Monado. Uh, after yeah. the uh, after the um, sword in the game, because the game's all about this um, war between man and a machine, and the only thing that could defeat the machines is a Monado, the sword that can like cut through like every machine, and it also gives you gives the user, like, the power to see the future and stuff. And that actually factors into gameplay, because you can actually, um, the sword will actually predict enemy attacks, and you have to um, predict their attacks before they use it, because a lot of the times these attacks can kill you in one hit. Sounds pretty cool. See, you know, one thing about uh, Xeno uh, Saga that I do want to bring up, because I only played Xeno Saga 1, and, you know, I hated it. Oh, no. I think it's a bad game. But, uh, I really like too. Well, uh, true. <laughs> I really like the art style. I really like that clean sci-fi look, and uh, I don't know. I I really loved the art style for that game, but I just wish that we could have put that into a better game. Like it, it just was a very, it was a very different kind of game to look at. You really hadn't seen anything like it. It was very pristine, very, uh, v- very like white, very blue, just. You know, hallways that kind of looked just sort of empty, but there was there was a lot of character in them. I don't know. The the, the art style for Xenosaga always struck me as very very positive. It was just the rest of the game was absolute crap. So it needed more dilithium crystals. <laughs> crystal. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I I really like the look of Xenosaga. I think it's a beautiful looking game just because it is so different. But you know, I was thought Xenosaga was really sterile. Because um, like characters look like Barbie dolls and stuff like that. I kind of like that though because it, it's it's very off-putting in a lot of ways. It it feels awkward. It feels like it's not right. But then you don't walk into the problems like I'm gonna talk about my game in a little bit, where you're just in that uncanny valley and you feel very very weird, like when you're talking to people. So you know, it's it's still it's just one of those things where I think the anime look of Xenosaga really did it a lot of good. Uh. 
Anything else to tell us about Ashton? Uh, no, just Tales of Graces, which I think is um, one of the reasons why reportedly Tales Studio is facing a lot of financial problems, and Xenoblade, which, yeah, you all just heard. Yep, yep, yep. Well, uh, before we get into our Mass Effect discussion, I'll talk about uh, the other game that I was playing all week, which was the uh, Fallout 3 Game of the Year edition for PC. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I, I got to sit down. I had only played um, the PS3 version of Fallout 3. So I, I got to play the ultra janky version, and I, I think I played it through three or four times with uh, three different types of characters, three or four different types of characters. And I played the Broken Steel expansion, which did a lot to really fix the main issue with Fallout 3, which was the ending, which was just like a stop. And Bethesda was just kind of like, uh, We're done. Yep, we're nothing to see here. Move along, move along. That's all we got. Uh, so Broken Steel did a lot to fix that. Congratulations. <laughs> you are a winner. You're a winner. You, you win. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm, I was playing the Game of the Year edition, and uh, on the PC it runs much, much better. I mean, I'm running it on a, a pretty beefy uh, Alienware laptop with only 512 megabytes of uh, VRAM, and it, it runs like butter, and it just it, it was a much better experience. Still lots of crashes here and there, you know, significant crashes to the desktop, which is frustrating. Uh, but I also got to play uh, the expansion packs, and Point Lookout was epic. Point Lookout was the best piece of expansion. It was like its own little mini wasteland, and it kind of did the same thing that Left 4 Dead 2 did, where it it took uh, the series and put it in the South, which I thought was awesome. The South? The South. I live in Columbia, South Carolina right now. I mean, you know, I can look up at the Capitol building every day and just shake my head. So, uh... <laughs> if you, if this one time, me and my buddy Key... Oh, I'll tell you, I sure did go down there once. That, that's Alabama, friends. That's Alabama. See, now, now I've offended the Alabama listeners. I'm glad we have the PR representative here right now. Uh, no, I, I really love Fallout 3. Um, playing Fallout 3, again, though, there, there are some issues with the game. I think it still has that disconnect between uh, shooting and RPG elements. Like, if you go into VATS to shoot something, and it says you have a 95% chance to hit it, and then you miss three times... You, it's infuriating. You just want to throw something. You're just like, okay, I think I know how statistics work, and that's that's not right. Also, I still remember. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I, was just, I just remember when that game first came out, me and my two roommates, we were all playing at once. And I just remember my roommate, uh, he would sit at his desk, and I would just see him randomly with his headphones on be like, I, I can't say the word, but he would scream really loud and just like hit the desk. And I'd be like, what's the matter? He's like, well, I was pretty sure a 95% chance meant I had a 95% chance to hit, not a 0% chance to hit. I just shot a guy six times and missed. Yeah, so it, I understand. Yeah, Fallout 3 does that weird thing where if somebody, like, goes behind cover or, like, goes behind a wall or if there's some obstruction in the way, you will miss with every shot that you just fired. So, But on the PC, it does work a lot better as a shooter. I mean, the, the PS3 controls, that's the only one I can speak to because I didn't play 360. The PS3 controls, trying to play that game like a shooter was absolutely terrible. It, you could not do it. It had no sensitivity in the sticks. It had no dead zone. But I actually could play on the PC like a shooter. Now, I didn't very often unless I was way more powerful than all the enemies, but uh, I could at least rely on the mouse and keyboard to do some of the shooting for me. But the, the big thing that really struck me about uh, Fallout 3 playing it again, and I, I think it was because I was rushing to play it through for review, so I was trying to see as much content as I could very quickly. Fallout 3 can be very infuriating when you first start because you have no equipment 
no stim packs, you have no idea where you are, and the enemies around where you first start are really, really tough. Like, you can accidentally walk into DC very easily, and that's like super mutant heaven. And, and they're hard later on. Yeah, and they get really hard later on. And so I, th- I think um, – I know uh, John and I talked last week about the hardcore mode in New Vegas, and I was interested in playing that until I played Fallout 3 again. And I'm just like, you know, that, that hardcore mode, I don't think that's going to appeal to me at all, to be like playing already a, a very difficult game until you start to get ammo or until you start to get perks that make it so that you, you have better equipment. I think Fallout 3, like the hardcore mode, is going to appeal to a very niche audience, but I think I may break something if I play it on that mode. I think it's actually supposed to be played after you already finished the game once. That's a good like, point. Because, uh, for example, like in Mass Effect 2, um, I played through the first time on like normal or veteran, but I or uh, after that I played through on insanity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just torture. By the way, don't do it. The the other thing, and uh, my review will probably go up in the next couple days, hint, hint, in case anybody wants to uh, proofread it. <clears throat> uh, one thing that I mentioned uh, in my review, I actually want them to do away with the moral compass. You know, not the moral choices. I like the choices, but I want them to do away with the moral compass. And the big thing for me was uh, the pit expansion. I really thought that the, the big moral decision in the pit, for, I, I'm not going to give it away, you know, but um, – it was very, very gray, and it felt like there was no right answer. There was no right or wrong karma choice, but the game arbitrarily chooses one to be positive and one to be negative. And I was kind of sitting there just like, you know, I, I would actually rather you just take it away. You know, Dragon Age, they don't have a moral compass. You just make decisions, and the only moral compass is based on your characters and how much they like you or not and how much they respond to your actions. But I kind of like the fact that you get to make your own decisions in Dragon Age, and I think Fallout maybe pushes you a little too much in one moral choice decision, and I would actually rather them just get rid of it in the next game, but I know they've already said for New Vegas it's going to be there. I I mean, that's fair. Yeah, to be fair, um, you don't get to nuke a town in Dragon Age, so yeah. Yeah, you do get to commit, like, mass genocide, though, on several occasions. Oh, that's true. <laughs> just, just you know, it's a scale thing. It's a scale of evil, apparently. Zach, you were trying to say something. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the problem inherent with most moral compass thingies that you find like anything from from Infamous to you know Mass Effect, um, you know to Fallout. And one of the things that Dragon Age did really well, and one of the things that Alpha Protocol did really well, despite all its faults, is that you know having that system based on your reputation with characters instead of the, you know, the arbitrary moral compass, it, I think it, it does a lot for a game. You know, it does a lot to give more weight to the decisions. I think Witcher did that, too. Yeah, I, I, I would Witcher have to did. say The Witcher has done the best out of any RPG I've ever played to kind of make it about your consequences and not about um, your alignment. See, now, now you guys, I, I think I need to pick up The Witcher. They're doing that massive Steam sale. I mean, I bought Bioshock 2 for 15 bucks the other day, and uh, I think The Witcher is only like 650 or something. I, I think i got to go pick it up. Like, even if I don't get a chance to play it for another year, just, uh, God, it's like every week. Steam I'm will sitting, do that to you. Yeah, yeah, it's like every week I'm pimping Steam. I hate them. God. <laughs> no, but they're so, so good. But, um, yeah, Fallout. I mean, they, they have your credit card number. What can you do? I know, I know. Basically, just charge It's me. just so easy. 
Well, that's how I got the Fallout 3 Game of the Year edition, and that's how I also picked up Mass, uh, Mass Effect 2. Fallout 3 was like 25 bucks two weeks ago, and Mass Effect was like 23. Mass Effect 2 was 23 bucks, and I was just like, you know, even if I only play this game for a couple of hours, that's like taking my girlfriend out for like a movie and popcorn, you know, with these, with today's prices. That, oh well, I'll, I'll do it. So, Fallout 3, great game. Uh, even if you have the original game, it's almost worth it to pick up the Game of the Year edition because each one of those pieces of DLC was 10 bucks originally. So you're getting those five pieces for a full-priced game, and there's enough content there for a full-priced game. So Fallout 3, it was, it was uh, one of my favorite games of 2008, right up there with Left 4 Dead, but as an RPG, it was my favorite game that year. And, uh, yeah, it earns its title. So... And then the the only other thing, and this is a side comment to our our grand debate during the E3 show, I joined the dark side and I bought a Nintendo DSi XL, and it will be coming in the mail next week. I still Yay! I still feel horrible about it because uh, you know it's it's like I'm gonna play this thing for a year, maybe two, and then I'm gonna have to buy a 3DS. But until then, you know, I get to play. Uh, I bought Strange Journey and uh, Castlevania Order of Ecclesia. So I have two games to play uh, when it comes in. So I think you'll feel bad right up until you turn it on, and you know that'll be that. Yeah, I, th- I think I'll be I'll be happy with it, but I, I definitely had the buyer's regret. I was uh, talking with Dennis uh, for a couple of days about it, and eventually I was just in my office and I said, "Screw it!" and I just hit the buy button before I could even think about it. Like I just had <laughs> I had the Amazon order ready for like three days, and I just like got up the nerve to just hit, "Okay, do it." So. That regret will melt away as you bask in the light of the DSi XL. I've been buying so many games lately now that I have disposable income. Like, I was sitting there debating buying The Witcher, and now I'm like, wait a minute, it's six bucks. Like, that's a, that's a Subway sandwich. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, wow, you got a cheap Subway by you. Not what, $5 foot long. And PayPal Mary Nara's. Okay, so, so let's see. We've pimped Steam and Subway, so now all we need to do is have a Mountain Dew ad, and we will... No, 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 we can't Subway. pimp Subway, no. Okay, all right. So <laughs> okay, now, fine, we'll pick Quiznos. Okay, that's fine. Okay, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> so now let's let's do the Mass, Mass Effect debate. Um, I, I don't remember. I think it was for the trial podcast, Zach, where we talked about Mass Effect. Uh, yeah, it was. It was okay. Right. Yeah, we need to release that one at some point. Oh, uh, maybe maybe like when we get to 100 episodes. The, people don't need to hear that for a while. Yeah, people don't need to hear that. Yeah, that was a little awkward. Speaking but. of Mass Effect 2, this month the Overlord DLC came out. It's really great. So anybody who likes Mass Effect 2, you should get it. Yes, get the Overlord yes. DLC. It was great. Well, that's, I'll be writing a review on that one, too. Is that free or is that with what? That is paid DLC. Uh, it's paid DLC, uh, 560 points. Okay, so how much is that in actual $7. Money? $7. $7. Okay. American dollars. Okay. I, I, I would like to make a note to Microsoft. Anyone who releases DLC in Microsoft points, stop using arbitrary denominations that aren't uh, $5 because I'm tired <laughs> of having, like, 240 points in my account. Yep, they screw you. Second that. They screw you. on premium themes. That's how they screw you. (laughs) That's exactly what it's there for. It's there so, oh, I have these 200 points left. Let me buy this arbitrary crap that I will never look at again. See, now the the solution is to play rock band. You got got to play some rock band and buy all those songs. That's how you explain it. That's a good use for them. See, I've I've got rock band for the PS. Rock band is like Activision or something, right? 
No, that's uh, EA. That's EA. EA, TV, that's so. EA. Okay, good, because I'm not giving active in a sense. That's Guitar Hero. Yeah, no, Guitar Hero is... Uh, anyways, Mass Effect. <laughs> okay, so Mass Effect. Um, I am the resident Mass Effect hater. I think the original game is probably one of the most overrated games of this console generation. I picked it up for PC, and I, I proceeded to sit down and play it. And as Zach told me when I originally told him my problem, I made the mistake of choosing an adept when I first tried to play Mass Effect. And, oh, uh, no. Yeah, it was it was basically the worst experience ever. I was screaming at my laptop so much because I I could not kill anything and everybody was so stupid on my team. My girlfriend actually got up out of the apartment and left. So I don't know if that says more about me or the game. I'm going to say it says something about the game because that's never happened to me before. So, uh, no, Mass Effect 1 I think was just a terrible shooter. I think the RPG mechanics were fine. You know, I really like the conversation system. But sitting there and trying to shoot somebody in Mass Effect 1, holding the reticule or sniper rifle over their head, and pulling the trigger and nothing happening, just... Wait, wait, wait. You were using a sniper rifle while you were an adept? No, no, no. That's when I switched to an infiltrator, and I still had the same problem because my sniper skill wasn't high enough. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I think I might have had... A somewhat similar experience. When I first played the first Mass Effect, my roommates had both been playing it, and they were telling me how great it was, and I got home and sat down, and I picked an infiltrator, and I hated it. I was like, this game is terrible. The, the, the aiming is ridiculous. It's like if I point at this guy's head and shoot him, he should be dead. But yeah. Yeah. I actually went back and picked a Vanguard because I'm not very good. I'm, I don't have very good aim. I typically just get in people's faces and shoot them. Um, and I, had a, I, I thought it was a much, much easier at that point, um, maybe because yeah, of the imprecision oh, of a shotgun. The biggest problem I had with Mass Effect, the original one, is that um, there was no real differentiation between the weapons. You could, like, shoot someone from across the battlefield with your shotgun and kill them, which was glorious. That makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, the the shooting mechanics in Mass Effect were what really held it back, and it was obvious that BioWare had never made a shooter before, and they tried to put an RPG overlay over it, and it didn't work. Now, I picked up Mass Effect 2 on Steam sale, and, you know, I – I think Pat had been kind of pushing me to do a Mass Effect 2 review when he first hired me for the site, and I was kind of like, uh, I don't know if you want me doing that review. I mean, I would have probably given Mass Effect 1 like a 60, because I don't think it worked as a game. I think it was fundamentally broken. And so then I I pop in Mass Effect 2, and this is after Zach's just like, dude, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I have played about 10 hours in three days, and I'm sitting here right now ticked off that I can't play it more. Like, I I am so, like, I I would hang up the mic right now and play it. I am so in love with that game. The first time I was able to, I chose an infiltrator again. And uh, on a side note, my shepherd is about the ugliest man in existence. I I always somehow do this. He literally looks like an ape from Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Well, I didn't look at him from a side profile, so I didn't realize that his chin was jutting out and his nose was pushed in. Oh, dear. He looks, there needs to be some program out there for me to rework my shepherd because he he just, he looks awful. But um, they do have folks in your new game plus. In my new game plus, I can change him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. and they do have programs for um, the, uh, for modifying your Mass Effect 2 save if you play it on PC. Oh, thank God. Okay, so now uh, we'll we'll talk about the new game plus later because that's actually another question I have. But Mass Effect 2. I am so in love with it. Bioware, I am so, like, in awe of you guys right now. Like, between this and Assassin's Creed, 
these are two games where I think the original games were like a point of reference. Like this is what we're trying to make. And then the sequel just expanded on it so much. I am so happy with Bioware right now. Mass Effect 2 is blowing me away. I, I get it. I, I know. I, okay. I, with all that said, some of the reviews that I've seen have been a little too glowing. Cough, Ashton. But uh, it's it's hey. Uh, no, 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 no. It's it's a very very good game. My PC review is probably not going to come out for another like two weeks because I I thought I was just going to burn through the main quest, and now I'm sitting here doing all the loyalty missions and looking for things to do. I think I'm going to score it very, very high, but I do think there are some issues with it, but I'll get to those later. I want to ask you guys, what do you guys think of Mass Effect 2? Are you guys okay with the fact that they decided to go full-blown shooter with a conversation system and light RPG elements, or are you kind of upset at that? So I, I, I want to interject really quick before we get to this. I'm sorry. Um, sure. I find, I find it really interesting that you call the loyalty missions optional. Because that's, that's what I was going to bring up, yeah. Yeah, when I played the game, it did not feel like that was optional content. It felt like when I went out and scanned a planet and I was like, holy crap, there's whatever down there. That that was optional content. But it really did feel like the loyalty missions were a required part of the game. I'm not a completionist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, as I said on the E3 podcast, like I blew up Megaton two quests in in Fallout 3. I don't care about finishing everything, but in Fallout, or not Fallout, in Mass Effect 2, I did every single loyalty mission because it felt required. See, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the loyalty missions, but I, I don't feel like I'm being pushed to complete them. I think I'm doing them out of the fact that I'm finding the characters to be very interesting, which is the highest praise I can give uh Bioware. That is my one, one little complaint about the game, and I, I have a few, but one of my complaints about the game is Everybody was saying how amazing the characters were, and I think some of them are really, really cool. I mean, we were joking around before. Garrus is probably the funniest thing ever in that game. Garrus is the man. His little quips, le- awesome. His little quips, left and right, are awesome. The uh, Solarian, uh, what's his name, Morin? Morden. 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 He's he's awesome. I love him. Uh, Miranda's a little boring. Jacob's a little boring. But two characters that are really bothering me are Jack, which is kind of like Bioware's, like, this is what guys want. They want a tough, sexually aggressive female who's kind of annoying. And, Super annoying. Yeah, she's she's really obnoxious. Now, I think her story is kind of interesting, if a little Akira-esque, but that's okay. And then Thane is so... He's such a caricature that we've seen before. He is the assassin with a religious background. Like that, that you know, can you get any more stereotypical than that? Like, I mean, I really liked Thane, though. He's kind of a badass, and, like, those those flashbacks are, I don't know, they feel like they added a lot to the character with, you know, the whole backstory behind well, him. I getting, agree. Those getting, flashbacks were awesome. I'm getting to his backstory, and that's actually the next loyalty mission that I'm going to do. But it's just... When he's first introduced, I was just like, oh, it's the assassin that kills everybody and does it effortlessly, but he has a religious background. Okay, I've never seen that before. Moving on. Like, it just, it, it just feels like Bioware, like, 
I think Bioware gets more credit than they deserve sometimes. I still think they're some of the best story writers in gaming right now, but I think they get away with some cheap stuff. Like, Dragon Age was about as, you know, the dwarves were about as generic as Tolkien dwarves. They did some cool things with the elves, and everybody praised that, but nobody decided to sit there and go, yeah, well, the humans and dwarves are kind of just like Tolkien-esque humans and dwarves. There's no difference. And I do think that Bioware kind of gets a free pass on that sometimes. Rebuttal. Actually, I, I don't have a rebuttal. I uh, I love. I've been playing Bioware since like the first Baldur's Gate, and I've, I'm you know like the majority of their games. But um, I do agree. I feel I felt like Knights of the Republic, Knights of the Republic Two, Jade Empire, and though I liked it, the first Mass Effect are all basically the exact same formula. It's okay. You this is you. This is your introduction. Okay, now you need to go to these places in a non-linear order and find some stuff so that way you can fight the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, and I think that um. I think the original Mass Effect, everybody was talking about how great the story was, and I found the story to just be generic sci-fi BS. Like, I I was not interested in it at all. What they did with Mass Effect 2 is they kind of created a very basic plot structure that can work in any scenery, which is you trying to get a crew of specialty people together to accomplish a mission. I mean, we've seen this in Westerns. We've seen this in movies like Ocean's Eleven. It's very much an assembling of a team just in a sci-fi setting. And I think that works much better than having just generic space opera 27. You know, it's, it's the reason why I don't like Babylon five. It's the reason I don't like most star Trek, except for the movies. Generic sci-fi is boring. And I think that by making mass effect two, maybe the story isn't as interesting as it could be, but by making it a very standard plot, with unique characters, it's easier to get into than an entire world with its own litany of uh, nouns and verbs and codex pages. That's all still there in Mass Effect 2, but you don't have to go into it. Now, I, I would think, argue – sorry, go for it, Steve. Oh, thank you. Uh, I actually – I kind of agree with that just because, like, the story itself in Mass Effect 2 is nothing amazing, but I feel like – they really succeeded because Bioware is always saying, oh, they want you to care about their characters, blah, 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 blah. And by the end of Mass Effect 2, I literally, the reason I did every loyalty mission, um, I compared it kind of like Chrono Trigger. You know, that's an older one. But, you know, you can beat the game without reviving Chrono, but you're doing it wrong. Oh, good point. Um, good point. But um, I think in Mass Effect 2, um, sorry, ring dumb enough. Um, in, in Mass Effect 2, really, like, by the end of the game, I was doing the loyalty missions because I was, you know, the characters were just so good in that game. You know, I, I hated Jack. I couldn't stand her. I used her, I think, the two, the two times you had to use her. I think it was twice. I couldn't stand her, but I thought her backstory was interesting enough, and I could, you know, see where she was coming from with being, you know, the cold, merciless, incredibly annoying, I'm cursing, and it's cool character. Um but by the end, I mean, literally, it just the characters and, like, you know, how they related to Shepard, especially Garrus, because I'm a huge Garrus fan, just you really got a sense, like, especially with Shepard and Garrus at the end, you know, that they're, you know, they're friends. And even though they're all aliens and, you know, they're not human at all, they're all so human in the terms of, like, their story that that was what really did it for me. Like, yeah, they were just real tight. Zach, you were going to say something. Yeah, um, I, I certainly agree that the characters and the writing and all of that are much better, but I actually found, I don't know, Rob, how far did you play into the first Mass Effect? 
Ah, oh, man. Uh, I think with my with my adept, I played maybe six or seven hours in, and then I switched to an infiltrator, and I got frustrated again, and I gave so up. Did Did you finish the like the three kind of no. main worlds that they set out? Okay, so I, I did one of them, and then I got midway through the other one. That's one of the things is that Mass Effect One story really doesn't pick up until the end. It's really weak in, you know, with the first three worlds, and then once you do, I think it's um, Ferris or. Vermeer, yeah, Vermeer that pops up. That's when everything kind of starts spiraling, spiraling into action, and then you go to Ilos, and then there's the big final kind of showdown confrontation in the Citadel, um, which I I actually enjoyed a lot more. And I haven't finished uh, Mass Effect Two, so I haven't seen the supposedly epic ending. But um, yeah, I just I enjoyed that the you know even though it was a slow build up, it was a much more uh, I, I like the payoff better than what has been going on so far with Mass Effect 2. Well, that that was one thing about Mass Effect 2 that uh, it's kind of jarring for me because everybody talks about all the player choices that took place in Mass Effect 1 and how the player they impact uh, Mass Effect 2, and they're all going to come together in a trilogy, which I, I think is very, very ambitious, and I hope Bioware can pull it off. Now... I'm the guy that didn't play Mass Effect 1 the whole way through. So I went online, I read through Wikipedia, I read through the story, so I knew what was going on for Mass Effect 2. But I do feel like Mass Effect 2, the story is very much moving, and even though I do have control over the conversations, I don't feel like I'm making choices. I feel like everything is just moving. Like, there's been times where it's like, do you kill this guy or not? And maybe that's going to come up again later as a little thing. But none of the choices are on a massive scale. We joked earlier about Dragon Age and how you do commit mass genocide on, like, the elves in Dragon Age at one point. Like, there's nothing like that in Mass Effect 2. Now, I, I don't know. Does, it, it doesn't bother me right now, but it does kind of feel like one thing that everybody talks about with Mass Effect are the choices, and I'm not seeing them in Mass Effect 2 so far. I think Sorry, I, I, I think that has to do with this being the second game in a trilogy. Yeah, it's the Empire. Um, yeah. It, it's Bio, I actually had a chance to, to go to Bioware's Edmonton Studios last November and, and play the game before it was out. Oh, I hate you. Uh, I do as well. Uh, I hate you so much. But talking to the development team, they, they, want, they wanted, I think they wanted to hold the player's hand in certain elements because there are certain things in the game that I think... They, they, they needed to happen to have whatever they planned to have the third part of the trilogy be, be coherent. That's why you don't have control of certain characters. That's why certain characters uh, like Liara, they really are kind of non-existent in Mass Effect 2. Right, right. They're because, present, but you don't get control over them. Because I think they're, they're planning on saving those characters and decisions relating to the major characters from Mass Effect 1 that aren't playable in Mass Effect 2 because they're going to be major players in the last game. I I also wanted to point out, you were saying you didn't feel like you were making big decisions, and I I agree to a point with that, but um, it's kind of, in some of the loyalty missions, um, I don't know if you played long enough in Mass Effect 1, but there's this scene in Mass Effect 1 where you have the option of basically exterminating the queen of an entire race. Yeah, I did see. I I saw that, and I don't know what the de- what the decision is because I didn't play Mass Effect One. I don't know what the decision is for me right now. Basically, you I th- I think Mass Effect Two, if you don't play, assumes that you just you murdered her. But um, that it has a yeah, small Mass effect, effect two, on two. It, it has a it, small effect on two, but it uh it seems like it's going to come up again in three. A couple of the loyalty missions in Mass Effect Two have decisions like that. There's um 
you get a, a party member late, very, very late in the game, and his loyalty mission, at the very end, you make, you know, one of those big genocidal decisions, and then a few other decisions seem like they may not have a big effect on two, but I think they're going to come up again in three, and I think that's really the problem you guys are saying, is that it's the middle of a trilogy. Which, by the way, Rob, I think you're going to hate the character that he's talking about, because I think he's a generic sci-fi trope as well. Okay, well, I mean, that's that's fine. I, I So far, Mass Effect 2, I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, from from just the shooting mechanic portion, uh, I, I thought it was funny that I, I thought I was running into the same problem that I had with uh, Mass Effect 1 and Dragon Age, where the beginning was really easy. And then I think the first mission that I did was the one where you have to go save Garrus. And you have that portion where you need to close the shutters, and there's that one really long tunnel room, and I died like four times on that. It's the only part in the whole game that I've died. And I was sitting there like, oh, okay, once again, Bioware does it to me, where they make this ridiculously hard section, like, right at the beginning of the game, but eventually I got through. I do think that um, the shooting... Is very it's very good for an RPG. I don't think the shooting holds up as well as like an Uncharted or a Gears of War because those games have like these huge set piece moments. And every once in a while, Mass Effect Two tries to do that. They, they have bosses where um, like the, the shields keep on coming up, or you have to knock out shield generators to get to them. Those feel like Bioware's trying to trying to do like a Metal Gear style boss that's very intricate. But instead, it just comes across very gamey, and I, I don't think that they should do that. Like that, those feel very awkward to me. They feel very artificial. It's kind of like in a Batman: Arkham Asylum. Like the last boss of that game is stupid compared to the rest of it. It just doesn't fit. And I feel like those moments in Mass Effect Two are a little like, okay, guys, I know what you're trying to do, but no, no, you, you really don't have shouldn't. to. Yeah, you really shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. It just doesn't feel like that's their their best point. And and also, when you walk into a room and you see a bunch of chest-high walls, you know you're going to get ambushed. And so your first instinct is to just go to cover. Now, luckily, they don't do the thing that Uncharted 2 does to you over and over again where they have a second wave of enemies come in, and if you're under the wrong piece of cover, the game just auto-kills you to restart you behind where you should be. So Mass Effect 2 doesn't do that, but it, it almost feels like some of the the mystique is gone. Like you walk into a room and it's very obvious. It feels like Max Payne. It feels very much like Max Payne. Like, you know where the enemies are going to come from now, get behind cover and get ready for them. I mean, that's a valid, that's, you know, that's the problem with cover based shooters these days is that those, you know, chest high walls are ever prevalent. Yeah. It doesn't, um, it doesn't feel organic. It doesn't feel organic. And I, I think first off, Third-person shooters don't work very well on the PC. Like, they, they really don't. It feels very, very awkward. Now, Mass Effect 2 does a really nice thing where it brings the camera in very close behind Shepard, and you avoid that problem. But I have had some issues where, like, Shepard goes to the absolute wrong piece of cover. There's also uh, some points where, like, if a, a teammate comes up and they'll shove you out of the way. So every time I would come up to shoot, I would get kind of shoved off to the side, and my reticule would be all screwed up, and that's kind of awkward, but overall, I think for a shooter that is in an RPG, and I, I don't think Mass Effect 2 is an RPG in the strictest sense, but I, I'm, I'm going to go with Bioware's definition on that. It works, and it's not frustrating. It's not doing dice rolls in the background. I feel like it works, and it's very, very fun. I'm enjoying the shooting. I'm playing as a sniper, and I just love shooting people in the face. Like, it's not yeah. getting old. I played as a Vanguard, and it never got old for me. Um, I played on Insanity just because I like to torture myself. And um, 
it's a Vanguard is basically useless in the beginning because if you charge out of cover at any point, you're going to die instantly. But by the end of the game, I felt like it kind of came together and it was really satisfying to just, you know, you dash up to a guy, you blast him in the face, you dash to another guy, you blast him in the face. And it just, I felt like in terms of compared to the first one where I kind of felt like I was dealing with the gameplay because the rest of the game was good. Um, this time I actually felt like I was enjoying the shooting that much more because I really, I, you know, because of, you know, the characters, I cared about what was going on and I felt like it was really well, greatly improved over the first one. Yeah, yeah. It's much better as a cohesive unit. Yeah. Yes. Definitely, definitely. Now, now, two questions that I have uh, for everybody here because, you know, I'm still playing it through. Uh, first question is, should I play through Mass Effect 1? Because I have no desire to play through Like, I thought about it today, and I was kind of like, you know, it'd be kind of cool to bring my Shepard with all of his decisions through Mass Effect 1 and then play through Mass Effect 2. And then I started remembering the gameplay. And I just don't think I can go back. I think BioWare actually did themselves a disservice by making Mass Effect 2 such a gameplay departure from Mass Effect 1. I don't feel like Mass Effect 1 is playable at this point. Like, it's it's like the... Uh, it's like the advancement from Assassin's Creed 1 to Assassin's Creed 2, to use the exact same analogy. You can't go back. It's it's literally broken. Should I go I'm, back? Well, that's the thing is, like, if you were to play through Mass Effect 1, the only way I'd really suggest you to do it is to min-max your way through it. You know, it's to, like, really game the, the statistics part of it so that you don't have to worry about combat. Which is unfortunate, but you know that's that's the only way I could really play through it. Again. I played through it, you know, like the a good full complete fifteen hour playthrough right before Mass Effect Two came out. So, I I think that honestly you can play through it and by use a fact like and it'll take you six hours. Yeah, you know, it, I just it really really pains me because like I was using facts for Mass Effect 1 and you know the fact I, I would get to a, like the I think I did the plant uh, mission first where you go and you fight that stupid plant creature I think that, yeah I think I did that first and it was so ridiculously hard like I, I could not get through it except just by you know blind luck and I go on to a fact and people are just like yeah just proceed to shoot the Thorian until it dies <laughs> It's like, okay, that's, well, okay. that's not my recommendation. You, you could possibly... Oh, good. Play as a soldier first. Play on casual difficulty if you don't like the game that much. And you can just, like, breeze through the entire game mostly. That's a good point. That's Because then I can change my character class in Mass Effect 2. Yeah. Which would be nice. Soldiers in Mass Effect 1, they're, like, hardy. They deal a lot of damage. And you could probably kill a, a, every enemy with a few shots. Um, be sure to spec yourself in um, assault rifles. Because um, once you get the strongest assault rifle in Mass Effect 1 and attach a heat sink onto it, you can just keep shooting and it won't overheat. That, and that was the other thing about Mass Effect 1 I couldn't stand was the inventory system. And I think they did a great job in Mass Effect 2 by making it so that you really do investigate the environments and you find the new uh, upgrades and you find the new weapons. And it feels much it feels much better than like going to a store and sitting there going, well, this pistol does – Plus one damage to synthetics, but this pistol, does, I hate that. I hate that when I'm playing an RPG. Like, it's just. I think they really fixed that in two, definitely. Because what yeah, with yeah, the, the yeah. shields and the barriers and, like, the different types of protection. So, you know, okay, on this guy, I could use my shotgun, but then that guy over there, I need a pistol. You know, and this guy needs a, you know, a machine pistol. So I, I think the way they did it in two was way better. Because um, I still got a sense that I was upgrading my character and finding new equipment. It's just. 
I didn't have to stop every three seconds and fight with the menus to be using that stuff. Yeah. See, I, I, really I disagree. I, I played the PC version of Mass Effect 1, and honestly, I love min-maxing and twinking like that. Oh. So, like, when I was like, oh, my God, this weapon does do one more damage than that weapon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, I, I Diablo, love that in Diablo because it's all statistics based. That's when I like it. When I'm playing Diablo and it's like, okay, I can feel that plus one damage. But when I'm playing a shooter, I want my own skill to be what makes the gameplay. And that's what I feel. Like, I've had no trouble in Mass Effect 2 except for that one part. I've never died because I'm pretty good at shooters. Like, and I'm a pretty good sniper. And I'm just sitting there just like, pink, pink, pink. See, and I think you're you're looking at Mass Effect as a shooter, and I'm looking at Mass Effect as an RPG with shooting elements. Yeah. yeah. Now, Ashton, you're trying to get a word in, so go for it. Actually, um, yeah, I think anybody who like plays Mass Effect Two without playing Mass Effect One is kind of doing themselves a disservice because it's really cool seeing like even the side quests have things that are brought over, like a character in the side quest that you played in Mass Effect One, where you help her with a certain thing in like uh, basically a criminal organization. And in Mass Effect 2, you'll see what hap- uh, what happens to her. Like she's one of the first characters you meet, actually. Um, she um, she either becomes a Ashton, could you close the door or something? Because either your girlfriend's making popcorn or she's using the sink. That's not me. I'm serious. That's not me. It's not me, Steven. Not it. No, it was not I. Zach? Goes, goes. I, it's not me. I'm sitting in the room by myself. John. That leaves okay. only you. That, that, that's me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he waited for everybody else to say it wasn't them. He's like, yeah, it was me. That's our PR manager. Okay, Ashton, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, Basically, like, the um, yeah, a lot of the characters you meet in Mass Effect 1 and, like, all the decisions you make in Mass Effect 1, and even some of the plot elements in Mass Effect 2 – Hinge greatly on if you completed or even if you played Mass Effect 1. A lot of them, for example, like a, some of the uh, plot twists you find out about halfway through the game, uh, it's, it really loses its impact unless you already played Mass Effect 1. Yeah, well, I'll, maybe I'll play Mass Effect 1 when I, when I get closer to Mass Effect 3, and I'll play through uh, both games just to get uh, well-versed in the game again. And then that leads to the second question that I had, guys. For the new game plus, now how does that work? Does the difficulty go up? And you, you were saying I get to change my ugly ass shepherd, and I can actually make him look somewhat normal instead of like a cro-mag. So I can change, <laughs> I can change his appearance. Can I change his class? Do I get to make new choices? How does all that work? You can't change his class. Um, so you can change his appearance, and in fact, uh, Mass Effect Two has a really cool system in place for this. Because you can actually get the face code for, from someone else. Yeah, I saw that. Shepherd, and you um, use it on yours. And my female shepherd, actually, I have a face code from someone. Because every female shepherd I made looked like a prostitute. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> and so when, like, when you went in to, like, fight, um, when you went in to sign up to fight Archangel, one of the, one of the guys there said, like, hey, you look like a stripper. And I'm all like, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's me. That's normal. That's me. Dude, I, I got to, like, post pictures of my guy because, like, I tried to make him look like me, so maybe that's why he looks ugly as sin. But, like, <laughs> I think the problem was I didn't – he looks fine straight on, like, maybe a little cross-eyed. <laughs> like, he looks fine straight on. Then you turn the camera and his he looks like somebody just punched him in the face and his face caved in. 
I don't <laughs> think you even need the death, death mask attachment for that. Like the death mask plus 10% in negotiation. I don't think you even need that. I bet you probably have like plus 100% in negotiation just by your face alone now. Yeah, I, I got the death mask today, and I, I'm gonna put it on just so I can't stare at my uns. Like it's so awful. Like he's trying to be the he's trying to be like all smooth with the ladies and whatnot in the game, and it's kind of like the uh, redheaded kid from Mask. Like it just does not. <laughs> like he just looks horrible. He just looks horrible. Like uh, he looks like Sean White. It's just terrible. I don't know. All my characters in Dragon Age looked like they were anorexic. Because one of my friends came over and they saw my Dragon Age character, and he's all, they're all like, hey, that looks like you if you were bulimic if, and if you had your fingers in your throat all day. Yeah, it's so. like even the dwarf could put on a little bit of weight. You know, like you, you can't make – I wanted to make like a fast, fat rogue that was kind of like Rufus from Street Fighter Four. Like that's what I wanted to make, and I wanted to make him just like stabbing people so fast and get like the jiggly physics going on, but you know, Bioware didn't. But uh, I guess the last topic before uh, we've been talking about Mass Effect for so long, but it does kind of feel like Bioware decided to split with Dragon Age and Mass Effect, and they decided to make Dragon Age the hardcore role-playing game and make um, Mass Effect more the mainstream shooter with role-playing elements and are we okay with that because i think both games are great but i like them both for very different reasons i like dragon age because of the very intricate combat that is is very breakable in a lot of ways but it's still very very intricate very very hands-on and the story uh very generic but there's lots and lots of decisions that can be made and they really do affect the world and mass effect is kind of more like there's an overarching narrative that you're taking a part in and you're changing little things here and there. Uh, you do get major decisions. Like I know about the major decision at the end of Mass Effect 1, but it feels like the focus is more on the narrative and more on Shepard. So are, what do you guys think about Bioware's decision to just kind of say we're going to have these two separate types of games? I think I can I, – I agree with that. Um, they're definitely very different kinds of games. Um, I think Dragon Age is basically a, hey, we didn't forget about you Baldur's Gate fans. Um, I personally didn't really care for Dragon Age. I got pretty far in it, um, and I enjoyed it, but I got a kind of feeling from it of, oh, Bioware's done this 50 times, the combat in this game. Like, I, I couldn't quite get why everyone was so enamored with the combat just because, like, oh, you can combine magic spells. I said, yeah, but it's just Baldur's Gate, and I played that I don't even know how long ago. Um, I did like in Dragon Age how there was – you were saying it earlier when we were talking about Fallout – there's no moral compass. It's just decisions because there have been times where, like, for example, in Mass Effect, if you're playing a shepherd, there's a decision at one point where you can smash a man through a glass, through a panel of glass and throw him thousands of feet down to his death. And it kind of is you're either sweet and lovely shepherd who's, you know, cuddled like a bunny or you're vicious, horrible, terrible shepherd. And I just... I feel like dragon. There are also, like intimidation tactics, like that thing you mentioned before. Like if you don't, if you don't throw him off the building, which I know is a very difficult thing to do. Everybody I know who plays Mass Effect Two, if they reach that point, they just like it doesn't matter if they're playing Paragon or Renegade. They just like throw that guy off the building. I mean, I'm, I'm I don't guilty think they of even that. Care. Guilty. I, ha- I don't think. <laughs> I have to admit, I, di- I didn't throw him because I I I, I try to play a nice guy just because I don't. I guess I don't have it in me to be a jerk. But there are times, like in Mass Effect 1 with Manuel in the first area, when you punch him in the face, I'm a nice guy, but I punch Manuel in the face because it was too funny to not do it. <laughs> yeah, because Shepard's just like, time to shut you up, Manuel. Boom. 
I need and, to play as... Oh, I my need, God. What did you to, do? You does can't Jen- just go around whacking people in the head. Does Jennifer Hale do the voice for female Shepard? In, she in does. Effect yes. one and two? She yep. does. See, she does. I, I think I want to play as a female uh, Shepard because I, I don't like Shepard's male voice actor. I think he sounds horribly disinterested and kind of like a porno actor. Like, no, no offense to him because he's, he's kind of got to play a very difficult role where he's like, he, he's kind of the vanilla of the group. Like, everybody else is full of personality and Shepard has to be the, the player character. But I feel like when I'm playing Shepard as a jerk, I just kind of feel like he, he's being too jerky or not jerky enough. Like, he's always just in this really weird ground. And when I'm being like cute, cuddly Shepard, it just makes me want to throw up. Like, it, it's, yeah. It, Jennifer Hale does a really good job of, of bridging that gap, and also just general renegade delivery is much, much better. Yeah, see, I, I think I want to play as – if I do the Mass Effect 1 and 2 thing, like as we get – I figure Mass Effect 3 is another two years off, probably a year and a half, two years off since we didn't see it at E3. I figure I got time. Yeah. I think I'm going to do a female renegade Shepard, and I, I want to see how her – I mean I loved her as uh, Naomi Hunter. In the original Metal Gear Solid, like when she had that British accent, I thought she was one of the best voice actors in the game. So I, I really want to see what she does with Shepard because I, I do feel like the male voice actor is kind of lacking. I'd rather have Keith David do it. He would have been awesome. <laughs> he, see, I, I really like – I've heard on the internet too a lot of people don't like male Shepard. And I, maybe I'm just used to him, but I've always thought he was great. Like don't get me wrong. I think, I think female Shepard is great, but I've always – I thought the delivery of male Shepard is excellent. Like – there are some certain like nuanced scenes where he's you know he's saying something kind of sarcastic or like you know he's having a conversation with Garrus at the end of two about you know stuff they've done in the past and you kind of get that really like tongue in cheek kind of winking you know I feel like he really did a good job you know showing yeah, I mean, the, like slight slight inflection and stuff. I do think that the voice acting overall is great. Again, Garrus is the man. Garrus is the man. I'm sorry. Put it, put it, put it, man. Put it. I am the very model of a scientist Salarian. I hate you. I still think it would have been funny if the elusive man, like the first time you talked to him, he was just like, sorry to keep you waiting. This is Snake. Like, just like smoking the cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> anybody else? Like, come on, there's got to be a YouTube video of David Hayter doing that. It was like, oh, yeah, I could have done this role. Uh, Shepard? Shepard? Shepard! Sorry to keep you waiting. That would have... Nice! There we go! They have do the shepherd voice. <laughs> Miranda, I dropped $50 million on this guy. Follow him around. <laughs> yes! Uh, see, I, don't I love have... you, Dave. David Hader. If you happen to listen to this, I love you. Yeah, please. Please be Shepard from now on. That would be excellent. Oh, man. I think, I think the uh, I think the conversation is completely degenerated at this point. So, final final right. thoughts: Mass Effect Two is freaking awesome. I'm saying yes. that better than Final Fantasy Thirteen Game of the Year this year. No no doubt about it. Yes, no doubt. It's going to be real hard between that and Red Dead. I mean, I, I think as an RPG, I, I think Mass Effect Two is is my game of the year right now, unless something comes out that just blows my socks off. But uh, this year, for my editor's picks, like. Number one, Mass Effect 2. Number two, Mass Effect 2. All five. It's just going to be Mass Effect 2. Yeah. This year for my Guys, it's, it's June. Yeah, it is June. It is. We still got time. So, and, and Dragon Quest comes out in just a couple weeks. So, yeah. the Dragon Quest Mass doesn't Effect have Garrus. It comes out this year. It loses. Yeah, Mass, Dragon Quest does not have Garrus. Or more it, than um, it Dragon more Quest, than you can song. create your own main character. So if you really wanted Garrus to be in the game. I really doubt have, I could make Would he Garrus. have flexibility? 
Dragon oh, wait, no, Quest he would have character creations like you change your you change your eyes, you change your hair, and that's it. All right, so uh, I don't know when my re- to the listeners, I don't know when my review for Mass Effect Two is going to go out. I kind of wanted it to be done by the end of the weekend, but I've been so absorbed in it right now. I think it might be a little bit longer. So probably give me like two weeks to get that game up there, and uh, you know, you guys will read what I think about it. So, all right, uh, we're, we're coming in really long here, so Eric's probably going to punch us all, and we got two uh, we got two curse words to bleep out here. So let's do a short news section, Zach. All right, so first up on the list is uh, the, the next re-release for PlayStation Network uh, PS1 me. games. Legend of Mana, anybody? Anybody? Yay. Oh, is that the game that came out in between Vagrant Story and Chrono Cross? Yeah, yeah, it was part of yeah, that, like, Summer of that. Adventure. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that came out with Chrono Cross. Yeah, I actually game. played that game, and it's not that bad. It's just that people were, like, giving it undeserved flack. Yeah, I agree. It's not. It's it's pretty different from those other mana games because it it's like basically one giant series of side quests. But it's fun because yeah, everybody expected it to be the sequel of Secret of Mana and like um, Seiken uh, Densetsu Three, but um, it really wasn't. It was more of a spin-off title, and people were expecting too much out of it. If you really want to rip on something, rip on like what was it called, Dawn of Mana, which because that was actually meant to be a true sequel, and it totally sucked. It did. I like the Money Pit. <laughs> Yeah, Anyways, so yeah, Legend of Mana, it, it tried something different, and um, it didn't really work out that well, but it was it was okay. It was, it was, it was a fun time. Moving on. All right. Um, Pray continue. Let's see. Tale, Tales Studio is in trouble. Uh, this is, you know, the, the studio that makes all the Tales games that, you know, everyone loves and enjoys or doesn't love and enjoy. Never I'm working through Vesperia. But, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I they – sorry, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, I'm just saying that uh, they they are running into some financial woes recently. Uh, yeah, I played I, Tales of Aces recently on the Wii, and um, apparently that was been the worst-selling Mothership title in um, Japan up till now. And you can really tell because it um, it was lacking in a lot of uh, things like content and stuff, content-wise and stuff. And um, I don't know, a lot of the things they've done recently have haven't really. Um, engendered any like endearment towards them from fans so a lot of people I agree until to um, be ported to like ps3 or 360 and so um yeah tales of graces hasn't been doing very well on um in the marketplace right now and that might have contributed to the financial difficulties tell studio is going through right now it's what you get for oversaturating a market and then like completely screwing over fans who like bought a 360 just to play Vesperia. <coughs> releasing, yeah, releasing it for PS3 like a year later with all this extra stuff in it. And then, yeah, not giving it to U.S. audiences. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily like the fact that they didn't bring over anything to the U.S. because Tales games do really crappily in the U.S. I mean, like Abyss didn't even reach 100,000 units sold, if I recall correctly. Which is very, very sad. Yeah, yeah. They're actually pretty decent games if you give them a go. But, like, um, the one thing is because fans are, uh, the Tales fans are some of the, like, pickiest um, jerks I've ever met. And the other thing is that um, they always release their games um, at, uh, at the same time as other high-profile releases. Like, Abyss came out, like, near to 12 
And the only reason Symphonia was uh, was well received was because the GameCube had no RPG at that time. All right, Zach. Next. The 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 final story that I'll bring up for this lovely evening is um if everyone's familiar with Level Five's next big game, uh, Ni no Kuni, which is used to be a DS exclusive and is now coming to the PS3. Looks gorgeous. Um, I'm, I, I'm really I, excited. Yeah, it looks really great. Like, I, I was looking at the... Like, I didn't realize it was a game at first, because um, I saw the trailer just on something totally unrelated, because I hadn't been paying attention at all. And I was like, man, this looks like a really good movie. And then I was like, holy crap, those are the in-game graphics. In-game graphics. Wow. Yeah. yeah it's... Uh, I mean, the the DS, I was looking at um, one of the, the previews on a, on a computing site the, earlier about the battle system that they just had a whole big, like, press conference thing. Um, and so... There, it, it seems like a fairly standard RPG battle system on the DS, but there's going to be some uh, rune drawing that you, you know, that'll shift it up a bit. While the uh, PS3 system, I think, has a, it's more of, I think it might be even indirect control a la Persona 3. Don't don't quote me on that, but it's a slightly different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it looks beautiful. There's going to be some slight story differences, some, you know just to differentiate the PS3 and DS editions, but, you know, it looks really beautiful right now, and I'm, I'm really excited. Well, I have a new story to talk about. What about those uh, scans of Final Fantasy Versus 13, huh? Anybody care? No? They look, I, I do. Well, did, I mean, did I read it right that you have to get gas in the game? You have to gas up your car because it's like Namira's sitting there saying that he wants it to be like a road trip movie or a road trip video game. And it's like, oh, yeah, because oh, that's game, a terrible idea. Yeah, any game that has gas in it is stupid. Sorry, Mass Effect 2. <laughs> Sorry! I, I don't know. It, it looks – I think that game is going to be a very traditional – I think it's going to be very traditional Final Fantasy in that it's going to have towns and it's going to have an overworld, but I think the combat is going to be the closest thing to Kingdom Hearts that you're going to see on the PS3 for mm, five years. I definitely agree. Yeah, the thing is, like, a lot of people are talking about, like, how it's um, supposed to be this, um, it's supposed to be the defining game of, like, the power of the PS3, and I really don't see anything like that from the screenshots so far. I mean, maybe that's just me. And didn't – there was a news story on N4G today, like right before I uh, – right before we started recording, where apparently Nomira is going to show off a new game at TGS. Could it be Kingdom Hearts 3? No, it's going to be something stupid. Probably going to be that stupid first-person shooter he talked about. What? He wants to make a first-person shooter or something. Oh, because that... shoot Keyblades at people. It's going to be epic. <laughs> and that... then Goofy will come out there as your rocket launcher. Oh, that's gonna no, be. He's probably gonna, he's probably gonna have like a gun with a zipper and a belt on it, and everybody's gonna go, like, oh, "What the hell is this?" But then he'll he'll summon in six more floating guns to float around him to do the majority of the shooting. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Because uh, because you know that that uh, Final Fantasy first person shooter, uh, Dirge of Cerberus. I mean, that was just excellent, wasn't it, guys? Right? It had gacked. I scored that uh, <laughs> game like thirty points too high. <laughs> What'd you give it? I gave it like a 73. Yeah, that's 30 points too high. <laughs> oh, that's 50 points too high. What the hell's wrong with you, man? Uh, it was bad. Like, I, I remember seeing the first screenshots for that, and I was a young, naive person, and I was just like, oh, man, it's going to be awesome. I love Vincent. Oh. I, f- I feel bad. I liked that game, though I know many people did not. Wait, you liked it? 
Well, I mean, I didn't think it was the greatest game ever, but I mean, I enjoyed like I, I thought it was an interesting. You All know. in favor of banning Stephen from the podcast, say aye. No. Aye. I have a really great solid snake impression. Can Which we hear is true. Can we, can we hear it again? Don't ban me from the podcast. <laughs> okay, you get to stay. All right, you get yes. to stay. You've been talking to me, brother, and I will ban you from the – I don't. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Liquid. <laughs> Liquid. Liquid. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be able to do a mean revolver ocelot, but I'm so giggly right now. I don't think I can do it. Oh, boy. All right, so are we done here? Does anybody else have anything? I think that's the, the last of it. We could do some more funny stuff, though. I think Steven's pretty funny, so he, he's got me giggling a little bit. Oh, I'm happy to make you giggle. Oh, thank you, sir. That's the first way through my heart. <laughs> ah, boy. Hey, well, that's a little bit creepy. Yeah, a little here, bit. A little bit. Here, I, I, if we want to close it out, I could close it out as Solid Snake. No, hold on, hold on. Yeah, before, that's what before, I was going to do. No, wait, wait, wait. Before you close it out as Solid Snake, I have to give uh, special props to my buddy Alexi Windler for making uh, the intro music that you guys hear for the E3 podcast. We didn't have a chance to thank him for that. Thank you so much, Alexi. Uh, the music sounds great, and I'm really happy to have it as our intro. So, take us out. This is Snake, and you've been listening to the RPG Fan Podcast. <laughs>